In June of 1994, MTV released its third season of The Real World. This season was based in San Francisco, just 20 miles north of where I grew up. We were introduced to a new cast of characters, and a television first unfolded before our very eyes. Pedro Zamora was one of the new seven roommates to enter the real world house. This handsome, brown-haired, brown-eyed boy with his soap opera good looks and his distinctive Cuban accent caught our attention almost immediately with his playful banter and joyful attitude. But it wasn't long before we learned that behind that beautiful smile was a very sick young man. Pedro was living with HIV and AIDS. We followed Pedro on his journey through outreach and education for HIV. We watched him fall in love and get married. We fell in love with this beautiful human who chose to share his life and diagnosis in hopes that he could educate the masses about his condition. On November 11th, 1994, Pedro Zamora, at just 22 years old, lost his battle with AIDS, ironically within hours of the last episode airing. Two of his roommates from the show, Judd Winnick and Pam Ling, who are now married, have two children, and still reside in San Francisco, were very close to Pedro throughout the filming of the show and when the cameras stopped rolling. They were at his side when he passed, and they have continued to keep his memory alive for the past 26 years through a book written by Winnick about his time with Pedro, starting a nonprofit in Pedro's name, countless speaking engagements, and continuous social media posts about this man that touched the world. It is such a pleasure for me to introduce Judd Winnick to you, for me as a person living with HIV, an MTV junkie, and simply another person that was touched by Pedro Zamora. Having a chance to speak to Judd was a bit surreal. I decided to ask him one day, he said yes, and then I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I've got to do this. And I did, and it went great. Judd, thank you so much again for doing this for me. You know this meant the world. I hear something. Hello, hello. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. Hi, Judd. Great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. My gosh, how are you? I'm good. We are, you know, I'm sorry. I, I do what everyone else does, which is like, you know, as good as could be expected, which is, you know, what you say at funerals. Um, exactly. Exactly. But, hey, shit, you know, we're post-election and, uh, you know, yesterday was like, you know, good news. The transition has begun, so... You know, that's right. That did happen. It was official. Yeah. No, yeah. we are we, we are sleeping better. We are feeling better. Things are good. Awesome. Well, gosh, thank you so much for agreeing to do my podcast. I, you have no idea. I'm so thrilled to be talking to you right now. And, oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, maybe you don't know this, but I am a huge real world road rules and challenge junkie. Like I've been watching since the beginning and I've only missed if you can believe this, I have only missed one episode and I remember which one it was because my VCR, something happened with it. <laughs> I know, I know. It was real world France and they were going to do a runway show and I never saw it. And I've like, still to this day, it bothers me. I missed that episode. Is it not streaming anywhere? I mean, I think, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, CBS All Access now has the show up. So oh, I don't know if France is up. To check it out it's the one i missed the only one i've never missed a survivor <laughs> or a big brother i know i know and at this age i probably shouldn't be watching still but i don't have cable but i buy the whole season online that's what i do and then i just go through it really quick i'm just i know it's all sort of fake and fun and it's just like eating chocolate cake to me i love it it's really fun i, I believe it or not i'm not gonna judge you on this it's really <laughs> you know I, we, we were we were on the show so you know, know. we're I know. I um. I don't know if you know. I grew up just um south of San Francisco in San Carlos. Does that sound familiar? Uh -huh. okay. Yeah, of course. 
Yeah, so I was living in, I believe I was in Santa Clara at the time when your show was filmed, but we were really well aware of it, obviously. And well, maybe we weren't aware of it until after it was done filming. I'm not sure if it was a secret during filming. Do you know if it was? It must have been. Yes. No, they uh, they do not want uh, the locals, you know, and this is back in the day. Um, they do not want the locals knowing that they're, that they're being filmed. You know, it gets out eventually. And actually, I hadn't thought about this in years the examiner when they started running my weekly comic strip uh they wrote an article which they weren't supposed to do i don't think um so they you know it's while the show is still being filmed so that kind of took the cat further out of the bag um but no they keep it they keep it super quiet yeah i remember getting the book after it came out and just seeing a picture of you guys walking down the street with the crew around you. And it's, of course, it's not what anyone thinks about when you watch the show. You don't realize there's this massive production crew around you walking down the street. And obviously you guys would stand out in that case, but it was fascinating to me that this is like what we're like, not even thinking of when we're watching the show. We don't think of the people all around you. We just think that we're just watching you. Like it's just magic. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, and it still goes on. I think I know we, we, as people who were on, reality tv when we're watching reality tv there's a certain well pan and i call it camera bullshit yes. <laughs> there's you know when something's going on which is like yeah this is not this is a little bit manufactured or we're pretending that these folks are just by their lonesome but you know there's a camera person there a lighting person there a sound person there um you know probably a grip floating around there's at least like you know two to three to five people surrounding them. Uh, so it's not, you know, there's, there's, there's so much manufacturing going on. Right. Uh, we know in our case for our season, it, it was like, it was a shared experience that, you know, we couldn't talk to Billy and Rick and Craig and George and Laura and like, you know, I'm naming everybody because these were the people we lived with, you know, they are part of it too, but they couldn't talk to us about anything except like just bullshit popular culture stuff. But, wow. but they were entirely, entirely a part of everything we were doing. They were there they too. Named all their names. Yeah. Uh, obviously they yeah. were part of the family. That's amazing. It's yeah. It's the part we don't think of at all. And yeah, I know there's this like invisible wall and you're not supposed to talk to them, but there is some like back and forth, right. A little bit, obviously. Well, just a smidge. I mean, honestly, they could, it was, it was, I mean, literally call crossing the line. They, they are, I mean, now I have the, you know, Billy Rainey, who went on to be a, a reality TV producer, as did most of the people who worked on our show. Billy was uh, the sound engineer. He was actually the head of sound. And Billy was talking to like Pam about, I think, Melrose Place. And at one point he looked over to, to George, who's our director, and said, is this crossing the line too much? And George said, no, it's fine. You know, like waved it off. And... We would talk about things that weren't going on in our lives. We would talk about like the new Beastie Boys album just came out and we could talk about that stuff, but they were there and they were involved, but, you know, couldn't participate. Like we found out later, we found out after the fact that when, when Pedro and Sean, Pedro Zamora and Sean Sasser, when they had their commitment ceremony, mm -hmm. uh, our director, George Vashore and Bob Fisher, they gave the crew a pep talk. And it's like, like, okay, listen, no crying. I don't want to see any crying and, and absolutely no hugging. You can't, none of it. Okay. None of it. Knowing full well, maybe more so than we did, 
it's like how emotional it was going to be. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I do remember like at the rap party, like, like Pedro and I were standing there and talking to a couple, like, I think it was, I think it was, I, it might've been like, might've been Billy, might've been Billy, might've been Adam or whatnot. We were done. Like we're talking and they're just going off and Billy said, he goes, he goes, and you know what? I didn't just do this yet. And he grabs Pedro and he gives him a this giant hug and lifts him off the ground. Uh, um, why didn't they want the hugging? What was that all about? Each other. They couldn't hug each other. They couldn't hug us. They just they had to be they had to be working. They had to be do about their oh, business. The crew. They, okay. The okay, crew. Yeah. I had wondered about the the wedding, and of course we're going kind of past it. You know, some of the stuff I wanted to start with, but um, sure. of course we bawled our eyes out watching this. I mean, I knew we were witnessing something. This was a first. Sean was HIV positive as well, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And we're witnessing two men getting married, both HIV positive, open on TV, and um. I just wondered if like everybody was aware in that moment of how like the magnitude of what that was going to be, you know, in the history of TV and just in general. We actually were conscious of it. I mean, it's one of those in the rareness of like of of occurrences in doing the show where more so than ever in my life did it, you know, I mean, I was, I was all 24 years old, a very worldly 24. I look back and like lessons learned, like I'm a child. Okay. You know, and I'm one of the older people in the house and one of the more mature people in the house. And I'm a child really been looking back, but it does what it does. And I don't mean to be all airy fairy about this, but it forces you to really be present. You have absolutely no choice, but to think about everything you're really doing. Um, and also think about in when it came to Pedro, we were hyper aware of the impact he was almost definitely going to have on the world. Like it was just, it wasn't a mystery to any of us. And so when they decided to, to do a commitment ceremony, we were just so excited. Like this is going to be so wonderful and awesome to so many people. It's like, you know, it's like, it's a commitment ceremony, but we know like this is a gay wedding on television. It's not fiction either. Like this right. is, this is actually, this isn't something anyone wrote, you know, no one made this up. And it's going to be, it's going to be real, real hyper aware how, how much it was going to mean to people. Um, and it, but that said, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't change anything we were going to do. You know, it wasn't like, you know, we were just throwing it there at the house and Sean and Pam cooked and, you know, they invited all their friends over and uh, Peter's best friend, Alexis Carano flew out for it. It's just, you know, yeah, it's going to be on a television show. But beyond that, it was just, hey, kids, we're going to do this together for our friends. Whose idea was the wedding? Was it Pedro and Sean's or was it MTV sort of thinking? Oh, fuck no. MTV never tells us to do anything. I don't know what happens now in reality TV, but our experience was nothing. They never told us to do anything. So in, in this case, this was, I want to say they talked about it on the show. They probably did that you know, and it has the benefit of being true. Uh, when the show was, as you know, we were sort of in the bottom third of filming, you know, a couple of months to go and Pedro and Sean got into a discussion where Pedro said like, you know, when, when this is over, I'm going to move home. Mm-hmm. And Sean is telling him like, well, I, I, I don't want you to. <laughs> and um, that's what he sort of, he proposed, Aww. you know, and said, we should, because, well, we should be together. We should, we should get married. We should have a commitment ceremony. If, you know, Peter said, like, are you, are you asking me to stay? And that you're, he goes, yes, I'm asking you to stay. I'm asking you to marry me, however that is, whatever we can do. And then he, you know, Peter came home and told us. 
I was like, well, what do you want to do? It's like, well, I guess we want to have a ceremony. Like, oh, we'll have it here. It was like, it was just very organic and, you know, a little, well, a little bit of like, hey, kids, we'll put on a show. Right. <laughs> but not, but not thinking of like the show part. It's more about, well, you know, when knowing full well that this was not, this was going to be a commitment ceremony and there's things you don't have to do because it's not a, a capital W wedding. You know, we don't have to worry about licenses or whatever. Like, we just go ahead and do it. So what do we do? We're going to throw a party for our friends. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just very much all hands on deck. Let's just do this. Um, yeah, it was. It really was. It's one of those moments, somebody who watched MTV will never forget it. And I think it went beyond MTV. People were aware of it for sure. You know, I, I want to go back just a little bit. I didn't even introduce you. This is Judd Winnick, by the way, <laughs> of uh, late Pedro Zamora, who um, entered our lives through the real world San Francisco. And honestly, nothing was ever the same after that. I truly believe that. And um, for those that don't know, Pedro was because most people do know about him, but there's younger people that follow me as well. So I want to make sure people understand that he was probably, would you say, the first person on reality TV with HIV? I think he was He was definitely the first person okay. on reality tv i mean he was just um he was the first person that most people knew slash met who was living with aids um prior to that and uh you know it's been 26 years but prior to that most people's exposure to aids and hiv was on the news this is 1994 so just to set the scene for the gang uh so this is before any combination drug therapy mm -hmm. at all. I mean, what was, there was AZT, that was it. Um, and, you know, we know now that it wasn't really working at all. Um, so there was really no effective treatment. You just took care of yourself and you hoped for the best. And a lot of people got lucky um, and a lot of people didn't. Um, but Specifically, so most people had never met or as far as they knew, knew anyone who was living with HIV and any exposure they had to it was pretty much just on the news or TV movies. And that was always about death or dying. And um, mostly the images were, you know, of men uh, anywhere in their 20s to in their 60s who were dying and looked like they stepped out of Auschwitz. And that was always... The images you always saw it was it was on the news. They were dying, yep. probably covered in KS lesions. Just mm -hmm. you, you know, and I mean it's honest, but that was what that was there was the image of, of AIDS, you know, like a shroud. Uh, but Pedro was soap opera handsome, um, and when we did the show, he was he was healthy and funny and had friends and had a boyfriend and a job and. You know, uh, he was someone that people could finally, they probably put, finally put a face to it. Like, you know, AIDS and HIV is not this, it's not this plague. It is, it is um, a disease that, you know, that people get. It's about the people. And it seems trite that folks didn't quite get that, but quote, folks didn't quite get that. Mm -hmm. They had not really put a face to it. They had to a certain extent with, with, with certain respect to with Ryan White, uh, again, for those who are playing at home, Ryan was a, he was a boy, I was gonna call him a young man, but he was a boy who um, uh, tested positive. I think Ryan was like 10 or 11, maybe. I think around there, yeah. Yeah, um, 
so many of these issues came up around him just wanting to go to school um, and having school district, his school district and the parents of other kids not wanting to go there because they were, they were frightened because they were uneducated about their own children being um, exposed to AIDS or HIV because of Ryan. Um, Ryan became the face of AIDS for a number of years and later the Ryan White Act, which was the first comprehensive piece of legislation which uh, gave funding towards people who are living with AIDS and HIV. Um, I assume most of your listeners know this. <laughs> uh, but Sometimes I post about Ryan and um, because I'm connected with his mom on Facebook, which still you, his mom, you know, all these things blow my mind. And so I do sometimes ha- kind of have to fill them in on who Ryan White is. And I've, you know, I kept his People magazine from back in the day. Like all these things have kind of come full circle in, in my life. But um, yeah, and people should know for sure. So I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, curious to know how much did you know about HIV before you entered the house? And also, you knew one of your roommates would have HIV, but you didn't know who it was. Is that correct? Right. To answer the first question first, I, you know, in, in hindsight, I, I knew next to nothing. Um, next to nothing. You know, I, um, you know, I'm an educated person. I read, you know, I read, I read magazines, I read newspapers, you know, I watch the news. Um, so I thought I was, you know, ha- had a great deal of information, but um, I didn't. Um, and going into it, yes, um, MTV did not want to, well, they weren't going to sneak this up on anybody. Uh, the producers, meaning uh, John Murray and Mary Alice Butum of Butum Murray. Um, they interviewed us for about five or six months of interviews slash auditions, whatever you want to call them. Wow. And very early on about, and they did it by rounds. Like round one, you send in a letter, a picture of yourself and a letter, why you want to be on the show. If they like the looks of it, they send you a 15-page application and instruct you to make a video. That's round two, round three. They interview you on the phone. Um, and I, in, the, in one of the final, oh, you know, you know what? And then they interviewed me for like round four in New York at the MTV offices. So like around halfway through is when they first mentioned, how would you feel about living with someone who's HIV positive? And uh, I talked about this a bunch in, the graphic novel I did about Pedro, um, that I gave a I gave a real liberal answer, you know, just, you know, like well, okay, I, you know, this is the whole show is about bringing together seven strangers, people who come from different experiences, and um, no, I don't know anyone who's uh, living with AIDS, so that would be a totally different experience. But of course, I'm open to it. Like this is what I'm telling them. But what I'm thinking is like, oh my. God, we're going to be living with someone who has AIDS? Jesus Christ. You know, <laughs> both sort of like, oh, no, no. I was both, a little, uh, you know, more than a little bit shocked, more than a little bit nervous, not knowing what to expect, knowing also full well, because, you know, I was like, like a snotty, media savvy, 20-something, knowing that this would be a really big deal. Um, but also, yeah, you know, more than a little bit nervous. But I gave them a bullshit answer that I thought they wanted to hear um, because I definitely wanted to be on the show. And I didn't want to say like, oh, wow, that totally freaks me out. No, no way. Um, what they didn't want to do, meaning the, being John, uh, John and Mary Alice, they didn't want anyone to show up and then like say, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this. Right. No, they didn't want any full freakouts. Right. They told us this is this might happen. 
And then when we actually got on the show, they told us this is happening. You're living with someone who's HIV positive. If that's a problem, you got to say so now. (laughs) And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go through some other people and they'll be on the show, not you. As far as knowing about AIDS and HIV, no, I do. I do very little, but I was, I was, we all were lucky because Pedro was an AIDS educator. Totally. And right out of the gate, he knew the questions we were going to have because this was not his first rodeo. Uh. He knew the questions that everyone always has. So on day one, um, he busts out his scrapbook. Which and is also your birthday, by the way. I did a little research. I, 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 tur- I, I literally turned 24 years old in the day we started filming The Real World. So. And you met your wife on top of it. Okay, go Yeah, ahead. so my birthday's always cool. It's, yeah. you know, uh, it's when we first met. It's when the show started. And, you know, now it's, you know, one year older every every year. So, yeah, it was a big day. There's a lot going on. Yeah, Pedro. I mean, he knew. He knew going into this what, how we'd feel. So he, he broke out his scrapbook. And in his scrapbook, there's like, it's, it tells all about him. And also he's got like a clipping in there from the New York Times, which uh, was detailing the current fear that was going around that uh, the public was terrified of uh, contracting HIV through unconventional means. Uh, that they, ha- they had found that the AIDS virus was found in sweat and tears. Uh, and Pedro was just just took a moment to say like, but what they don't talk about in this article is that you can't contract it that way. Exactly. The virus is like present in sweat and tears, but that's not, you cannot possibly contract it that way. Mm-hmm. And he just brought this up as part of conversation. <laughs> you know, oh, look here in my scrapbook. Here's this, here's this ridiculous article from the Times, which at no point in the articles it actually mentioned that this is not a way that you'll ever see or convert to the virus. It's like, oh, okay. This was his way of educating the people he's going to be living with because he knew what are we going to be worried about yeah. knowing that like, okay, we're going to be sharing bathrooms. We're going to be sharing cutlery. We're going to be sharing, you know, plates, dishes, things like this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, outside of having unprotected sex with your roommates or sharing needles, you know, IV injection drug use, you know, no one's at risk. So he was trying to make sure like everyone's going to be okay. And also yeah. something... I don't know if it was this was talked about like enough around any of that. Like the very last thing that Pedro was ever going to do was put any of us at risk. And um, it's something I kind of stumbled upon when talking to young people later. It's like, you do know that, right? You should know that of course he doesn't want us to contract HIV AIDS. Like he's going to be more careful than any of us. Right. And what he needed to be careful of was of all of you because his yes. system was so weak. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was way more at risk than yeah. any of us. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, we've got a dog in the house and suddenly like, yeah, you know what dogs do? They shit on the floor, you know, and uh, that's incredibly risky. So for us joking around, right, but any level of nonsense about suddenly having a dog in the house, like that's kind of a big deal that he didn't make too big a deal about. So. Yeah, and I'm sorry, we're just kind of all over the place. Feel free to to do sheepdog me in any direction you need to. No, I was just thinking um, about, well, for Pam, for one thing, she was a medical student at the time, and I'm curious to know what her um, knowledge of the virus was. Was she 
somewhat aware or like, I don't know what her studies were. So I'm not sure she was really focused. She was in medical school and she was in medical school at the University of uh, California, San Francisco. The very first patient she ever lost as a student was someone who died of AIDS. Um, she was very knowledgeable. Um, everything from universal precautions to, I mean, I can, all, I can always, I can hear her right now, not literally, but figuratively, as I say that she was very knowledgeable. Okay. She'd be the first one to tell you, like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she did. Very much so. And what she thought, actually, she thought her role, in a way, was going to be kind of the medical conduit, that she was going to be explaining to people left and right about AIDS and HIV. But then she met Pedro. It's like, oh, he's an AIDS educator. Like, I'm not going to have to do anything. Mm. You know, she, she had said later, like, you know, in the first 10 minutes of talking about, like, no, this is what he does. You know, and it's like, no, no. But I think what was going on is that when Peter got sick when we were living in the house, she got really nervous more so than anybody else because things, in her opinion, started to stack up. She was noticing weight loss more than others were. She was noticing that when he got PCP pneumonia, you know, he, he basically started stacking up opportunistic infections. Okay, Judd, you know. I had I had PCP pneumonia. I saw him running. I don't know how. I don't get it. Like, I saw him with a CD4 count of 32. He had yeah. pneumonia. The guy was like, I don't know how he even got out of bed. I'm so blown away by his ability to try to push past. And that's probably what you guys saw is like, it was probably worrying you because I, well, yeah. I, I don't even know. I mean, it was hard for me just to get to the bathroom. I mean, and I saw, and I know he was sick. I know he was trying to put on a, a smile for the show. He had to be, have been, he probably felt some pressure, but I mean, he, he probably wasn't feeling very well towards the end. I'm assuming when you guys. Oh, no. Towards the end, he felt lousy. I mean, for, for when, he, when we first moved in, he was actually feeling really great. And, uh, and that's the thing. If you look at the, morbid is not the right word, but to get really sort of clinical about it. If you look at him when the show started, episode one if you look at him in the last episode it's you know the note it's 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 he looks sick yeah. you can tell he lost weight yeah. you tell he doesn't look he doesn't look as good and um he didn't it was actually really noticeable to us at the well, at the rap party we're watching the first two episodes together and um we're both we're all just overcome like what a wonderful job they did in the first couple of episodes because they made it very much about him and we we're so greatly relieved mm. um but at the same time it was also a little bit jarring it's like uh yeah he doesn't look good he's a little bit mm -hmm. but we were hoping assuming that now the show is over you know this is all gonna be a lot less stressful he's just gonna go rest you know uh that this isn't an, is an issue of T cells or OIs or anything like that. He's just, you know, this has been exhausting and now he's going to have a chance to, you know, catch his breath, you know, literally and figuratively, um, and it'll get better. But you're not wrong. He did soldier through a lot. But, but coupled with the fact that he was a really terrible patient, you know, like, you know, and, seriously, it's like a laugh at it. Like, you know, he was, he was a kid. You know, he's 22 years old and a young 22 and like a lot of 22 years old, despite the fact being like, you know, an AIDS educator, you know, someone who's a health educator was really shitty about his own health. I mean, he should have been. He had almost no T cells and he wasn't on prophylaxis. He was not. Oh, he was. He no, he wasn't. Oh, and was that by choice? 
Yes, because he hated taking pills. He didn't like the he didn't like the uh, um, the side effects. And when I say he didn't like the side effects, he was just a real. I mean, I you know, I love him dearly, and you shall know this comes from a place of knowing him and knowing the fact like he's a young twenty two, and the heart of a lion, and one of the bravest people you'd ever meet. But at the same time, such a wuss when it came to, to medicine. He didn't like taking pills. He didn't like the, the side effects. And by the way, the side effects, um, we're not talking big stuff. We're talking like, you know, game of tummy ache. You know, <laughs> you know cra- crap like this. I mean, just, you know, and like, really, honestly, we really knew like, you just had like low end side effects and just gave up. Like, oh, I don't want to tell you anymore. Like, like ugh. Yeah, I like how it makes it makes me feel. Um, I feel like if he had been more active and you know taking medication, that it would have saved him. I mean, is this? Are you frustrated with that? I didn't even know this was a thing until now. Just hearing this from you, like it might have been. I mean, we, we could drive ourselves crazy with. I know. Okay, well, here here's I mean an excellent example. Uh, I mean, every everybody's different, and this was back in '94. Mm-hmm. Um, so Peter's best friend Alex Escarano. Alex was a good 15 years older than us, but, uh, you know, was living with HIV. And, uh, you know, Alex uh, was one of the first people to go on combination drug therapy. Oh, I didn't know Alex had it as well. Okay, interesting. He did. He did. Um, And it didn't work. Oh. Uh, No, and and, uh, then he um, he died of AIDS-related cancer. Oh, I didn't know. Um, He did, a number of years ago. Um, I want to say 97, 98. I just watched um, the tribute before I talked to you. Like last night, I was watching the tribute again. Of course, I'd seen it. Um, it's on YouTube to Pedro. So I saw Alex on there, but I didn't know that he'd passed away. Wow. I mean, yeah. And I know about Sean. It was, it was not too long after the show. Wow. Uh, and, and if we could talk about Alex for a minute, I mean, the world actually owes, the world owes Alex Escarano a huge debt because without Alex, Pedro would not have, Pedro would not have gone on the show. Pedro would not have, you know, they, they met early on through support groups and they became best friends. Um, and it was Alex, literally Alex, who filmed Pedro's real world audition tape. And Pedro was not too keen on doing this. Oh. And no, he was not. He, he thought it would be okay. But it was Alex who like, was like, no, 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 no. You must do this. Oh. We're going to film it. You're going to do this. The whole world's going to say. And Alex was the one who like saw it that you know no you're going to go on here and you're going to change the world and Peter's like oh, okay whatever it's like no no <laughs> oh my um, gosh that's a, i had no idea that that was the backstory to it i thought this was all pedro he wanted to get out there and like show the world what this is educate young people i really i had no idea i didn't know that it was more of alex pushing him it's so interesting no no completely you know and alex actually came from a background of uh alex was an actor um and uh, had been working, you know, on and off for a number of years and, you know, had a sense of this and also sort of had a sense of, you know, Peter's magic that, you know, that when he got up in front of people, when he, he knew, it's like when people see you, it's going to change how they, how they view people who are living with AIDS and HIV. So it was Alex who pushed him to do it. Oh, yeah. We loved him immediately. We all felt that way. And I have to tell you that, of course, in advocacy and my own personal story, I, well, I mean, I love Pedro. I never in a million years knew I'd end up with HIV. So, of course, when I finally, after a few days after the dust had settled with my diagnosis, I was laying there thinking about all these men in San Francisco and it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, oh, my God, like I'm 
connected to these men now. Like I never thought mm-hmm. it didn't hit me right away. It took a few days for that to hit me. And then of course, Pedro came up and I was like, Oh my God, Pedro Zamora. Like <laughs> I've always loved him. And now I have like this connection to him. Oh my gosh. So I have to tell you just in the community alone, that is a common theme. I mean, I am, you have no idea how excited I am to have you on here because <laughs> I've been hinting about it on my Instagram and people have made guesses and I knew there was like really no way to like give a hint. And so I, there was somebody that keeps actively writing to me and I said, I finally just gave him a hint this morning. And I said, this is a true story. That's all I wrote. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> And he wrote, oh, my God, it's Judd Winnick. I said, yep. I'm like, so I have to tell you, yeah, of course, in the HIV community, we, you know, we know Pedro and he means so much to us. Yeah, I remember having that epiphany and thinking about him. And um, he, I know he meant a lot to everybody, but being diagnosed with HIV, you just have this other deeper connection with people that are, well, we all feel connected, the Paz family, you know. Some people, um, it's funny because I get a lot of people who write to me who are dealing with HIV anxiety, that's very common. And um, they make themselves sick and they've, you know, they've tested negative a million times. And I said, I'm sorry. I mean, I know you want to be part of this family, but you don't get to, you're negative. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. So. yeah. No, you, you, you get to, you should happily be staying out of the tent and just, yeah. just try and chill. Just chill. try and chill. When did Alex pass away again? I think it was 97. 97. So he got to see some of what happened afterwards, obviously with Pedro. And- oh yeah. No, no, no. Alex got to, fully experience it um you know it is one of the big crimes of pedro's loss on top of everything else and so many another one of the things that just breaks your heart is that pedro really didn't get to fully experience what he accomplished and uh you know it it was debated and it's still debated so i'll argue with people about it that uh that he made a greater impact because he passed away rather than if he had gone on and it's like it's an interesting theory, but you know they actually they don't know Pedro, and what he would have, you know he would have kept going. You know there there was there was so much work to be done, and he was not in any way ever interested or even thought about. I mean, he was still very young and never really thought about dying. You would think he, of course he would, because he's living with AIDS. He's living with with AIDS at a time when there's no treatment. You know, um, so of course it's there, but still, yeah. Um, yeah, and he came through after the show when he was, you guys had wrapped and he was declining. And I was watching on the tribute that he had, he was going for um, an interview in a morning show in New York. I don't know if it was Good Morning America or something, but he didn't make CBS it. CBS this morning. CBS yeah. This morning. Okay. And so he knew at that point that he was not doing well. Do you, do you think, um, I'm just trying to wonder, I'm wondering like when it became clear to him that he was declining to a point that it wasn't going to be turning around. Did he understand that? I don't know if he ever, um, it's, it's, it's always questionable how much he knew what exactly was, was going on and how it was going on because, um, he got PML, which is a brain infection. Mm -hmm. So, uh, which is a, just, you know, unfortunate that, uh, you know, he was losing, he eventually lost his ability to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew actually he could, you know, he could understand what was going on, of course, but, um, you know, this happened quickly. So we left, we finished filming in June. He was hospitalized in August. He passed away in November. 
Uh, so it was, it was really, really quick. Of course, he knew with every hospital visit, you know, he, he basically, he, he checked into a hospital, he checked into St. Vincent's hospital in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, he never recovered after that. And they moved there was, to Miami. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, actually Sean, uh, Sean came to New York. I came to New York. Pam came to New York. Alex flew out. Uh, his sister, Millie Zamora flew out. Mm-hmm. I should mention that MTV flew everybody out. They paid for it. Oh, it was nice. 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 Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I, I know it seems like a nothing thing and it is for, you know, a billion dollar company just to throw airfare, but it, it should be noted. I just, while this was going on, when this happened, when Pedro got sick, um, it was really personal for everybody. Um, and it was, there wasn't anything anybody wasn't going to do for Pedro to help him in every way they possibly could. I mean, it really, I mean, just, there wasn't, you know, if something needed to be paid for, somebody pushed a button and it got paid for. Uh, it, it was, you know, it was a whirlwind. It was happening all so quickly um, that suddenly, you know, that suddenly Pedro was one of the most famous people in the world for a very brief period of time. The show aired. It was an international story because of who he was and what people finally got to see. And then he got sick. Um, so, yes. Well, so it's a circle back. So um, he, knew, he knew he was sick. He knew things were getting bad. But at the same time, uh, we were losing him and we we're losing, you know, he lost his ability to talk, which was just so criminal because he was a communicator. Yes. You know, there's so many, I know it feels weird to say, but there's so many ways at the time that, uh, that AIDS could take your life. And for him, for it to be the way that it gave him, uh, they lost his ability to speak. And at the end, you know, dementia. Um, that we really didn't know if he was, you know, how much he was there in those last couple of weeks. I mean, all these things said, you know, we always felt that he was very much still with us in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything from he uh, at one point in September or so, um, uh, no, scratch October, uh, uh, he made a really terrible turn and he was already in Miami. He was already hospitalized again. Um, and, uh, we were sort of going back and forth, meaning, uh, uh, I wasn't in town. Uh, Pam was, we were switching off just to keep ourselves a little bit sane. Mm-hmm. Um, like I would be in there for a couple of weeks then, you know, it's like, I, I need to head back home for a little while. And then, you know, so Pam would fly in. And then there was one night where he had a really close call. He was, he was going to die. All his vitals dropped. His breathing became labored. This is before cell phones. So um, Pam left like nine messages for me when I got home. And I missed the whole thing, which was, we think this is it. Um, we think we might lose him. It might be tonight. And then calling back, like, he just rallied. He's fine. Wow. I mean, he's, his, his, his blood pressure went back up. He's breathing. You know, he's a little bit awake. But she also did say that if you want to be here when we lose him, you need to come now. And so we did, you know, and that's, you know, um, and then we were with him till the end. But we also sort of feel that he hung in there until his entire family could be with him. Because um, his brothers, uh, his brothers were still in Cuba. Right. Um, Tell so the story. His, 
backpedaling a little bit for those who don't know uh pigeon moore was a cuban immigrant who came over during the mayoral boat lift when he was 10 years old he came over with his mother and father uh and his older brother uh jesus and his older sister millie who were the twins um but he had three older brothers who were uh in their late teens and just before they were all going to get on the boat and leave and this is 1980 they were going to come over i'm sorry 1983 they were going to uh, come over together there were some folks there from the military who said the boys were too close to the draft age and they'd have to go into the Cuban military, so they'd have to stay. So Peter's family had to decide on the spot whether to stay or go. And as the story goes, is that Peter's parents were convinced by the older boys who said, no, go, just go now, because this is it. If you don't go now, you're never going to go. We'll get over there eventually. It's like, but the kids need to be you know, they need to have a better life than we all did. So take them now and we will get there. And so off they went. But, uh, you know, it had been, you know, it had been 14 years. And those boys became men and, you know, grew up and, you know, got married and had children of their own now. Uh, and they had, they had not made it to the States. So um, while Pedro was hospitalized, actually he was at home still. Actually, it was one of those times where we were still at home. Alex got a call from the White House that President Clinton wanted to speak to Pedro and wish him well. You know, was he, you know, was Pedro able to take the phone call? It's like, yes, he will be. Um, and sure enough, we were all there at Pedro and Alex's apartment waiting for the president to call. Um, oh my God. And at this point, Pedro couldn't speak anymore, but he could understand. He, you know, he... He couldn't. I mean, it's it's weird for people to understand this. The portion of his brain that was affected by the infection robbed him of the ability to speak, but he had the ability to understand everything going on around him. He couldn't write. He couldn't do that. But we, but we knew he was there. You know, and he was still walking and doing things, and you know, but he couldn't talk anymore, so it was rough. But anyway, I said I'd say this. So President Clinton called, and they spoke for a while, and it was awesome. After he got off the phone. One of his aides had said, like, the president also wanted to know, wants you to know if there's anything that we can possibly do to please just let us know um, anything we could possibly do. And so Alex and Pedro's family let them know what they could do. So Pedro's brothers had were trying to still get to the States. Their visas had been approved. Everything was done. All the paperwork was okayed. There was no shenanigans. It was just... They needed that last box to be checked to say, you get to get on the next plane and go. So when the president offered up, like, is there anything you could do? It's like, yeah, <laughs> uh, Pedro's brothers are still in Cuba. Is there anything you could do to just expedite their, like, you know, again, everything was done. They just needed to be the ones who got on the plane. So sure, it was favoritism, but, you know, they, and, and by the way, it took a couple more, a couple more weeks. It didn't happen overnight. And in that time, Pedro was hospitalized again and uh, took a very bad turn. And this was coming towards the end. But he hung in there. And a lot of us felt that he was hanging in there until his family was together, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. which turned out to be exactly the case. Mm-hmm. Once his brothers and their wives and their children finally, they actually got off the plane and drove right to the hospital. Wow. Um, yeah, it was amazing. And then he and let were, go how much sooner after that? Days. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow, I did not. Did they stay in the U.S., his brothers? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're all, they're all still here. 
Oh, um, great. I'm connected to a lot of Zamoras on Facebook. I know Millie, um, but I wasn't sure how many brothers and uh, maybe, an, is there another sister? Uh, yes, they have, they have one older sister okay. who stayed in Cuba. Okay. Um, and uh, I'll talk out of school for a second. She was a uh, she was a communist and a supporter of Castro. So that was that did not <laughs> that, that did not sit well with the rest of the family, particularly uh, his father Hector. Hector uh, Hector fought in the revolution for Castro. Uh, for those a little bit of history lesson, Fidel Castro, uh, you know, uh, led a revolution to free Cuba. And then when he became the leader, he took away everyone's guns and made it um, a communist dictatorship, which, as you can imagine, did not sit well <laughs> with, with, with many, many, many people who had assumed that he was going to put forth a democracy like he said he was going to. Mm -hmm. So Hector was one of those people. And Hector was vocal about his, uh, um, about his displeasure, and they suffered for it. Um, the family got nothing. Uh, they lived, they were, were they... Uh, they lived in a corrugated shack with a dirt floor. Uh, all those kids. Um, so it was, it was rough. It was an amazing, you know. And and with that, it makes for an amazing story. Yeah, you know? they, got, and, they came here for the American dream. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I, a couple more questions. I don't want to keep you. Sure. Do you ever go by the old house? I know they've renovated it. It doesn't look the same, does it? Oh no, it's not the same at all. It uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna crap on it real quick. It kind of it kind of has this look of a like kind of a sort of a cheap Vegas thing going on. It's got this old like fake marble crap going on. It's a little disappointing. I mean, it's still it's still a glorious house, no lie. Um, but we uh, oh no, we it's you know it's just on the other side of the city, and we've we drive we've driven past it many times. Oh. I will say this. I will say I and I'm gonna I'm gonna get through the story without getting choked up. I'm gonna do this. I know uh, with, it's not easy when you're. No, no, I, I'm actually stealing myself with the story, and if I start talking louder, it's because I'm I'm gonna get through the story without crying. When we lived in the house, and this was on the show, and you can see it a lot, um, the house is next to a school, um, a middle school, and so we would always wake up to the sound of children playing in the playing, you know, in the courtyard of this rather large school that was next to us. So, you know, it's like a hundred some odd kids or, you know, they say the Pledge of Allegiance, they're there in the courtyard and they play in this recess. Mm -hmm. And it was always, it was always kind of nice. Mm -hmm. And the metaphor was not really lost on us. I mean, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an artist type person. So there I am thinking like, it's like, there's something beautiful about us kids in this house and those kids down there. It's like, you know, it was, it was kind of nice. And also led to many conversations about children as we would watch the kids, we would, it was cause it's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. And that's when, you know, I remember Pedro and Corey and Pam and I watching the kids and talking about kids and Pedro saying that he wanted kids. He wanted a family, you know, as did Corey mm -hmm. and Corey actually wanted to become a teacher, which she, she became a teacher. So it was, it was a very present thing for us, this school that was next to the house. So, Deep breath and rub my hands together here. So uh, uh, Pam and I have two children. Um, and uh, a number of years ago, when our son was about, I don't know, seven or eight, uh, they had a summer school program, which when we finally realized where it was, it was at the school that was next to the house. Mm -hmm. uh, so, we, uh, so there we were. 
we with our son we were there at the school and we realized when we were walking in the courtyard we'd actually never been in the courtyard looking up at the house and there we were there we were standing there with our son oh i'm gonna lose it yeah we're just conscious of it years later because we're looking out the window looking now we weren't a couple and peter was still with us and here we are we're together Pam and I are, are we're married, and here we are. We're standing with our with our son, and uh, looking up at, at the real world house, and we're looking. We're literally looking up at the windows that we looked out of. Oh my! And gosh. Uh, so poignant. Very conscious of you know, yeah, how funny, mm. weird, and wonderful, and terrible, and terrific life can be sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very conscious in that moment how much we would have loved for Pedro to still be here with us. Um, That is one of our biggest regrets and something I guess people think about when they they talk about losing someone Mm -hmm. is that, you know, they're gone and they're, they're just trapped in Amber Mm -hmm. and they're going to just, you know, they're going to be gone. They're going to be that age and that person forever as you, as your life goes on. And a lot of the loss comes from that you want to share the new life you have with them. Mm-hmm. And that really, that, that is something that still continually hurts us because mm-hmm. we're old now. And, you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old. Okay. We're I'm the a, same I'm, age. I'm a 70 baby also. Okay. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. I'm all, I get so it. So we are, we are not kids anymore. So we're at, we're, actually, you'll probably know this. We're at that age when, you know, like 10 years ago, it's like, well, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm old. Like, how old are you? It's like, oh, I'm, uh, whatever, I'm 39. Like, ah, oh, you're nothing. Once, once you, once you pass the threshold to, to 50 and you yeah. tell people like, like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm an older, I'm an older dude. It's like, how old are you? Like, I'm 50. It's like, ah, yeah. <laughs> they, they don't, they don't tell you you're not old anymore. Cause you are. Um, but I, yes, I look back on our time on the show and our time with Pedro it's, it's different now. Like I'm, I'm the same age as my father was when I went off on the show. Oh yeah. That's always so, good to do that, that comparison. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and um, this, this young man who we, we knew and loved and uh, who we lost and the world lost his family lost, um, you know, he still always could be 22 and he's been, he's been gone longer than he was alive, but oh boy, you know, the impact that he had and still has mm-hmm. um, it is in so, so many ways unsurprising. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's a constant gift and, and still kind of a shock, you know, especially when you meet, as you know, as you, as you meet young people uh, who are living with AIDS, HIV, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, they're, they're just, they're just kids. Um, and if they can glean any kind of uh, hope or bravery or inspiration from his story, you know, it's wonderful. It's an amazing thing. I probably have a newly diagnosed every single day contacting me. It's typically yeah. every day. So, and you know, and they're, everybody's going through the same thing. It's that shock 
it's and it will wear off, but it's just talking them through, you know, what it's going to feel like. It will get better. You will. This is now it's a chronic manageable disease today. It's it's not what it was. Right. Before. So it's really it's very basic. People get mad at me on my YouTube channel. I'd said or in my very first video, I had said that this is just not a big deal because once I started taking medication, I went back to my normal life and I was healthy again. I was like, this is all it is. I mean, I, I, right. I can handle this. This is fine. So, and it wasn't that I wanted to downplay HIV by any means, but I didn't want people who were diagnosed to be fearful of it or people to be fearful of testing for thinking that it's still, you know, that they're going to die or, you know, all of the things that have gone with the past. So, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, fine line to walk, but I feel like I'd prefer to say that it's not a big deal so that, you know, people do test and people that are diagnosed know that they're going to be just fine. You know, it just takes some time to get through the shock, but today it's just very different. You know, we're lucky. We're really lucky today. It's changed. I think you, I think you do a remarkable job of walking the line exactly the way it needs to be walked. Um, No, I've I've read your stuff. Uh, I've watched you on YouTube and you, you do absolutely strike the perfect tone of where I think we as a culture need to be when talking and dealing and living with HIV AIDS. Because um, it is, look, you know, you sh- you, th- th- there are, you should not contract HIV AIDS. We don't want to do that. You, we know how you get it. And we know how to protect ourselves. And uh, the fact that there, you know, there still aren't like buckets of condoms in every, in every high school in the country is still absurd. Uh, that's a whole other, you know, three-hour conversation. Um, you know, here we are in 2020, and it shouldn't. The idea that that they're not readily available, you know, is absurd. We are still having schools which are teaching abstinence-only education, all this kind of nonsense. Anyway, um, so it's be- it's better to protect yourself and to have the education and not test positive. But if you do. Yes, I, I agree. You are striking the exact right tone. I, I, the, the tone is one like, this is not the death sentence that it was, and you can live with this. And of course it sucks. Of course it's not, not great. Of course. But you can live with it, and it's manageable. Totally. And do not, I guess, I, you know, the elephant in the room is what you want to tell, well, not just young people, but anybody. It's like, do not end your life over this you're going to probably live a very long time as people are. Right. You know, lifespan is the same. It's no different. Really. Life is absolutely no different. I take a pill a day. The one that I have now has zero side effects. I don't, I don't feel anything. It's like, it went from a three pill. Well, it's one pill with three medications in it. And I recently changed to a two and it's just, they took one of them out. So, and it's doing the same thing and it's just, it's amazing. I'm like, why didn't they tell me that three years ago? Because the other one that I had, had a little bit of a side effect in it, I kind of got a little stomach ache about an hour later, but now I, I have nothing. And I just, I just think I just can't stop talking about how not, you know, again, it's like, I want to say, it's, uh, you want to find the words that like, you keep going back to manageable, how manageable yeah. it is. It is very manageable. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to say uh, I've, I've been connected to you probably for about three years on um, through social media and you have not missed any birthdays, you know, old age day, <laughs> anniversaries, anything that has to do with Pedro. I mean, I appreciate that so much that you're still speaking constantly and keeping his presence, you know, in the forefront. So thank you so much for doing that for our community and just the world in general. Everybody needs to remember Pedro. And I'm just so glad that you've continued to do that. It's so thank you so much for that. Well, 
Well, thank you, and you're welcome. And uh, as we always say, it's it, um, it's an easy thing to do because we we loved him a lot, but also he was very easy to love, and that's that. I mean, it's it was it was very much a, a two way street. Mm-hmm. He was a wonderful person, you know, who uh, who anybody would have celebrated had you known him. So we're lucky like this in the sense that. When you lose somebody, uh, you have this feeling of that you hold, we want the whole world to mourn. And I've said this before. Yeah. Um, and with Pedro, we have that. And it's, uh, there are people every single day who lose people. And it's just their friends and family who carry the weight. We are lucky that we've lost someone that the world constantly celebrates. Yes. That, oh, that's so true. Mm, that's so true. Okay. Two more quick things and then I'll, yeah. okay. I have a friend in the UK who does YouTube as well. His name's Stephen Hart and he's a huge fan and we've connected um, through YouTube and Pedro. And can you just give him a shout out? His name's Stephen. Stephen Hart. Absolutely. Not only that, Stephen, I'm, I'm, I'm grabbing my phone right now and I'm looking you up on social media. So I'm going to try to follow you right this sec as we do it. H-A-R-T, Stephen Hart. He's okay. a doll and he hasn't been feeling well lately. It, it doesn't have anything to do with HIV, but he's been hospitalized recently for, he has some other uh, medical issues that he's very open about, but um, I know that that would um, help his spirits for sure. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. <laughs> okay, cool. And my last question for you. So the opening of the show is, this is the true story of seven strangers picked to live in a house and have their lives taped to find out what happens when people start being polite stop being polite and start being real. What line was yours? Do you remember? Oh yeah, sure. To find out what happens. <laughs> <laughs> that right away. I wasn't sure. Do you know what part Pam had? Um, oh shit. I don't, uh, I probably do. I have to think it through. Um, like, uh, this is your story. Well, people, uh, stop being polite is, is Pedro. Yeah. His was like next to last. Okay. Uh, oh, start being real. Did you guys film those or the the sound bites for those all separately at different times? Yes, and we all did a really shitty job. <laughs> they, they could not they could not get over how lousy we all were at it. We were all lacking energy, and uh, I don't know. You know what? I can't remember what she's saying, which is weird because it's it's, it's just constantly ingrained in my memory. Looking at Pam uh, in the opening credits, like our credits were in black and white. And Pam looks the camera and tosses her head from like side to side and her hair moves a little bit. Yes. I, 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 have, I have to do nothing just to summon up the image, but I can't remember which part she was saying. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. Well, it's one of the other five lines. I don't remember either. Oh, for sure. I'm, I'm sure if I'm going through it, like, this is a true story. A seven chargers picked to live in a house. To have their lives taped. And you said to find out what happens. And then Pedro, when people stop being polite, yeah, and if you listen to Pedro's was, was like particularly terrible. Uh, like they, they wanted some energy from him and he was like zero energy. And if you even hear him in the opening credits, I can hear him say like, you know, to stop being polite. Like it's so, it's so monotone. Um, like, yeah, the boring crap you, you just you hear from us. Yeah, no, we found out. My friend, my friend uh, 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 Kara Woodruff, uh, who was uh, uh, Mary, Mary Alice's assistant, uh, had told us later, like, yeah, you guys just did the shittiest job. They were so frustrated. We could not get like a good take out of any of you. Like, can you get like a little more energy? Um, and we just did. It did so terrible. Did they have each of you do all seven lines and then they took? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, we, okay. yeah, we all did the as yeah, no, we all did the whole thing, uh-huh. and they they chop it up later to figure out how they're going to do it. I mean, part of it, I I, I wanted, to, I, I guess that I remember doing it, and it not seeming like a big deal at all. I think it's because the show is all over, and we might even like even moved out of the house and they had us come back. Oh, it was think, after you filmed. It was after you moved out. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Funny. Of course, you think it. I'm in my mind. I'm thinking everything was done before you moved in. Okay. They, in our case, and I think they learned a few lessons. Uh, for one, we did it after we moved out because I think they wanted to keep the show separate from the experience. Like they didn't want us to think it. We're not even allowed to say the real world while doing it. We're supposed to call it the project. Oh if we're ever God. referring, if we're ever referring to the show, we call it the project. And I guess we they wanted us to record the voiceover afterwards because now it was over. Along with, they also had a photo shoot afterwards. And this was now the second time they blew it because in season two, they had asked David to move out. And now our season, we asked Puck to move out. So they had to gather us back together Uh and uh, for a rather tense photo shoot. Um, So that's the one thing they do next time. They said, yeah, next time we're gonna take these pictures right away. We don't don't screw around anymore. Oh, they had to take the pictures after with Puck after he he was out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so they awesome. gather us back together. So it was like a little bit tense. Oh my uh, goodness! Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, that would be awkward for sure. Well, oh yeah, it was. <laughs> Judd Winnick, thank you so much for doing this. You have no idea. This is my World AIDS Day podcast that I'm going to be putting out, and it couldn't be more, you know, perfect to have you on it. I mean, I couldn't have asked for somebody more special to be having on this day. So thank you so much again for doing this for me. Oh no, and and thank you, and thank you for. Thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for oh. continuing to uh, to put the message out there and put a positive message out there and a clear message out there. I really, I really do mean that. I think you're doing really, really wonderful work um, that has obviously become a vocation on top of just something you do. And it, I think it's it's terrific. It's Thank really, you. really terrific. We, I think me and other activists all feel we, we are doing this in part in Pedro's memory. I mean, for sure, we want to carry on where he couldn't leave off. So it, it drives us. Well, you're, you're making him very proud, I'm sure. Thank you. And yeah, I'm really glad I didn't get choked up. I thought I was going to cry through the whole thing. So, okay, good. <laughs> it's a wrap. Thanks so much, Judd. Have a great day and say hi to your wife. I will. I'll do just that. Okay. You take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I'm still kind of blown away that Judd Winnick from the real world San Francisco said yes to my request. What a freaking stand-up guy. Thank you so much again, Judd. I am forever grateful. And hey, if you'd like to be notified of any of my upcoming podcasts, be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to help this girl out, then please rate, review, and share my show. It really does help put it out there. Today's show was brought to you by Benny, Olive Sky, Toby, Finn, Basil, and Baby Kitty, and of course, Sawyer. Sawyer, please, please come back to us. All right. Bye, guys. Have a great week.